the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. With comprehensive coverage and insightful analysis built around all of your favorite teams and leagues. Download the app, follow your favorite teams, and get a personalized feed of exclusive ad free content every single day. And visit theathletic.com slash spot track today for 40% off all of the action. My name is Mike Chinetti. Happy Tuesday afternoon. Here's the plan for today we're going to have a NBA deadline kind of primer, just discussions about teams and players that are probably in play, at least discussion wise, and some of the financial ramifications, right? How much is left on this year's salary, contractually, what's left for these players. Um, what does it mean for the upcoming draft? Things like that. Just a kind of a surfacey NBA discussion about what's coming. The deadline is Thursday, and we will be having a kind of a live deadline show leading up to that 4 p.m. Eastern deadline Thursday. So this will be kind of a preview for that experience. And then back end of the show, our, our friend Emily Karen from Sportico, sports business journalist with Sportico. She and the Sportico team have been laying out a daily piece regarding NCAA, March Madness, men's and women's, all things kind of college basketball, financials, right? The matchups, how the March Madness tournament pays or doesn't pay, respectively. Uh, The men versus women discussion, which is at the forefront of the news right now. Emily's been all over this, and uh, she really breaks down some unbelievable numbers for you. So back end of the show is about 20 minutes with Emily, a great conversation. I put a piece out on our spots section this morning breaking down some of the numbers with Aaron Rodgers because there's rumors that are probably becoming reality here soon that there's going to be some sort of contract restructure between him and the Packers. And, you know, generally speaking, we're taking some of these numbers, pushing them out, and that's going to be that. Lower the 2021 cap hit, see what we have next year, go from there. There's a lot more to this, right? This is not a simple numbers game. This is more of a career defining situation, right? Is he going to be in Green Bay for the rest of his career? Is there going to be a situation where player or team want an out after this year? And those kind of questions have to come before what kind of restructure do we want? So the piece I put on spotrat.com slash spots, not only has a projected restructure, but it kind of has those questions in mind. So I break out some details of if there should be an out in 2022, a trade, a tradable out. Then the version of the restructure I put up should look something like this, which is basically take all the money from this year that hasn't been paid yet, convert it to a bonus, add some void years, and all at the same time, let's get rid of 2023. He's got three years left in this contract, but we don't need 2023. Let's get rid of it. We do need 2022 because without that, he's not tradable next year. So you got to keep yourself at least two years of actual salaries on this contract. And I I basically kept the cash the same next year with just pushing some of this cap out to next year. And then obviously to 23, 25 as void year. So take a look at at the piece I have there, which, you you know, I, I, I broke it out as much as possible. I gave you as much detail as possible as to why things are happening this way. Um, what kind of dead cap would exist if they traded him? Um, I went as far as to put a gigantic roster bonus into next year. So I took basically all of the salary, you know, minimum notwithstanding for 2022, converted it to a roster bonus for next March. Why did I do that? That ensures from Aaron Rodgers' camp 
that he's out of here first, second league day of March. So same thing that happened to Stafford, to Goff, to Wentz. No waiting game. This He's going to be on a new team. If they're going to trade him, it's going to be March 18th, March 19th, before that roster bonus hits. Otherwise, they can restructure him into a brand new contract, you know, $35 million plus a year, whatever it's going to be. He can finish his, his career in Green Bay. So the, the point of this is, and I have a conclusion piece that kind of says this as well. Whatever happens in the next couple of days, maybe even the next couple of hours here with Aaron Rodgers' contract is going to tell us basically all we need to know. If he gets a four-year, $160 million restructured extension, okay, obviously we know what's happening here. He's going to be in Green Bay for the next three years, probably the rest of his career. Um you know, I think there's a lot of people voting for that. They don't want to see a change, but I'm not sure that's where Aaron Rodgers' head is right now. So if this is going to be about clearing cap, but also leaving next year open to some sort of interpretation, whether it's maybe he stays, maybe he goes, or I'm definitely going, and it's Jordan Love's time, then it that restructure is going to look a heck of a lot different. To me, it's about subtracting years, not adding years. So take a look at my piece. Let me know what you think. At Spotrick on Twitter. And obviously keep an eye out for news coming out of Green Bay because some sort of restructure is happening. Aaron Rodgers has a $37.2 million cap hit right now. It's the highest in the NFL. And the Packers are up against that number. So they, they're going to have to do something with that number. And what they do is going to be very, very telling. Okay, let's get to Scott and talk a little basketball. Scott, welcome back to the show. It's, uh, I don't know, hot stove season, at least in the NBA. There's some nice names being tossed around. Where are we at with, you know, a top three list? I mean, I, I, I kind of know the teams that are involved, so we can get to that too. But just give me three of the names that are at least in real consideration, not just rumored, but real consideration to be moved in the next 48 hours here. A couple names that have come up uh, are Kyle Lowry out of Toronto. Uh, I keep hearing Aaron Gordon out of Orlando, depending on where Orlando wants to go. And I mean, Beal comes up every so often just because he's been the rumored hot take for, you know, the last year and a half as it is anyways. But, well, he's also on uh, a team I'm, that doesn't deserve him. <laughs> and that too. So, and Oladipo has been out there too, even though they, he went to, um, you know, uh, Houston. Houston from yeah. Indiana. Uh, his name has come up a bit. I've got a list of other guys here that have been rumored that whether they're high caliber names or not, some here, might be. Bottom. Let's do it this way. So you got about ten guys there, I would imagine, because that's kind of the list that I've seen going around. Kind of rank yeah. them right now. Kind of, kind of spit them out here for us in order of likeliest to be moved, in your opinion. Hmm. <sighs> Kyle Lowry is probably at the top if Miami or Philadelphia can give the right package. Uh, and I guess that probably also depends on if Lowry wants to stay in Toronto. You know, there's that option too. But if not, uh, those are the two rumored teams. So I'd say he's probably at the top. Uh, Expiring contract, Scott? Yeah. So um, what I've done here is we rarely talk about cash in the NBA because it's all about the cap and the cap just moves as is. So I've got a list of players here and how much remaining cash that they have left to be paid and what they have in the next year. Um, so in Lowry's case, the the team that would acquire him 
would have uh, just under ten million or just over ten million dollars plus his bird rights, mm-hmm. and that's the key there because then that team like Miami they could sign him to you know uh, thirty million dollars or whatever it may be without having uh, allowing them to go over the cap and not have to use cap space in the off season if when he gets there. Um, he's thirty four, headed to thirty five. You mentioned he may want to stay in Toronto. Is he probably thinking the career's almost over here soon? Is that what you're thinking? Is there not a long-term extension with the next team in play, maybe? No, I think there could be a, a, a two- or a three-year deal, potentially, depending on how he feels and uh, what that the team he goes to, or if it's Toronto. He, I, there's still a chance that he still stays in Toronto. Um, yeah. I, I think there's still... There's still stuff in the gas tank for him. Uh, we've seen what has happened with Chris Paul. I think Lowry has taken care of his body and he's still playing at a high level. So I think you could probably get two, maybe three years out of him. Okay. I think the next one is probably, you know, Aaron, as I mentioned off the top, Aaron Gordon, he, his name keeps coming up and I, I've always been saying it depends on what Orlando wants to do. They've got a, a roster full of injuries. Um, what do they want to do with Gordon? Do they want to move him? Do they want to keep him? I've, I've heard him, you know, going in a handful of different teams potentially. So I think his name is, is probably the hottest stove name, uh, for the Orlando magic and moving him. And again, he, he would, uh, take, about six and a half million dollars in remaining cash for this year to the new team. And he still has $16.4 million uh, due to him next year. So the team would acquire him not only for the remainder of this year, but for next year as well. Yeah. That's a player worth term. So that's going to take a little bit more because it's not, there's not much to match in terms of sending players back. That would be pretty considerable draft picks coming back, right? Most likely. Yeah. His, his, I think his cap hits around 18. So it would, you know, matching purposes would have to be somewhere around that. And then whatever picks go in there. The other name at the top out of Orlando is Vucevic. I mean, I've seen him being rumored to, you know, Boston is always the one that people bring up for because they look for, you know, another big man to help out with Thompson. He's got about uh, $9.3 million in cash left, but he has $46 million over two years remaining after this year still. So um, he's a guy with term, and that's a guy who may even go for more than what Gordon would go for because of the year that he's been having. I mean, yeah. he's been at the top of the, the stats for a few years now. So I think he could probably fetch more than what Gordon could at this point. What's it going to take for Lowry? I mean, that's a lot to match. That's a lot for Toronto to have to bring back here. It, it is. And, you know, a team like Miami his, has been rumored is, there. Philadelphia certainly has the bodies to send. So that, yeah, that his cap hits at 30, 30 and a half. Yeah. So for matching purposes, yeah, you absolutely would have to send something back. If it's Miami, then you're sending back something like Kelly Olnick and uh, some other pieces. Probably one of the a, kids, right? Robinson uh, or Hero or I, I mean, it's or, my point is, none, Scott, that or, it's not going to be a 
this isn't your typical deadline move. You're you're going to be losing a significant piece if you're Miami that that took you to the to the championship game last year. Uh, this is going to be a an upgrade, not not just for this year, as you mentioned. That's the thing with NBA trades, and I don't think we can say it enough because we talk about a lot of the sports here. The salary matching side of these NBA trades is so fascinating because you're not just renting; you're giving up. You're you're giving up something, and you know the good trades. Sometimes you're giving up, you know, some extra baggage. But in Miami's case, that wouldn't be the case. You know, there's maybe you know Olenek is probably a a piece they'd love to move, but with that, they'd have to move somebody significant. And the same would go for Boston. The same would go for Philadelphia. You know, Danny Green is fine to get out of town, but you're going to have to send somebody significant with him to get to get off of his contract and upgrade his contract, if, if that's what I've been hearing kind of rumored. So it's not exactly like you're, you're buying in the bargain bin this time of year on this trade deadline. It's not, that's not what this is about. This is significant players going left and right. And when you're talking about a Miami trade, I think it would surprise some people if Tyler Hero moved. Would, wouldn't you agree with that? Not for the right person. And if it's you Kyle think they're Lowry, ready. Yeah. It, it, yeah. If because of the cost controlled entity of Tyler Hero, uh, I mean, he, he only has uh, like $1.4 million left of this year that would go. And then he's got a $4 million cap hit next year. And then, they still have a club option after that that would have to be exercised. So right. he's extremely cost controlled to the fact that, you know, it doesn't really help with the salary matching per se, uh, but it would help if it was packaged with other uh, entities, like I said, Olnick or, yeah. uh, you know, if you packaged Kendrick Nunn in there too, who's had a pretty good year. Um it just depends, and it, it may come down to Miami and Toronto. They're going to have to make it a three-team trade to make the matching purposes work somehow where they're rotating players and, and making it work. Uh, there, there's definitely going to have to be some creativity involved, but if Miami feels that Lowry is an upgrade with Butler and Bam, then that might be the route to go, especially if you know – through the back channels that Lowry wants to be there for two or three years, then you have Butler and Lowry and Bam lined up for the foreseeable future. You know, we've, uh, you and I have talked quite a bit offline about this pending trade deadline. And, you know, it's hard not to start with the Celtics, A, because they've been disappointing. I mean, we're, we're now at the point where coach may be fired. <laughs> that's the discussions that's, that's coming out of Boston at this point, um, or quit one of the two. They also have this gigantic trade exception, but it's yes. not as simple as, what is it? Sorry, 25, 27-ish, 27 and change, the Gordon Hayward extension? 20, 28 and a half. Even more. But it's not that simple. No, they're, it's not. They're a hard cap team, and right now their threshold gives them about how much to work with. 19.7 million to work with. So that's the that. actual number that they can acquire right now, legally. They, it, they they cannot go over that number because of the hard cap situation. And that's something that's a little bit complicated for some of the, the people out there to understand. But just, just take that with a grain of salt. 19 and change is their absolute max right now to acquire without getting rid of other pieces first. So they can trade a couple of the younger guys, some of the, the ancillary pieces, um, and try to build that number up into the 20, the low 20s a little bit. But um, 
Yeah, and that, they and can't take point. 28 on right now is the point. They can take 28 on next league year because that, that exception will carry through for a, for a bit of time. So it's not an absolute sure thing that they're going to use that. It's not. Um, but I have to tell you right now, after reading Mouth and kind of preparing for this, it sure sounds like Aaron Gordon is the Boston player to be identified here. So tell me right now, does that work? Yeah, it would work because he only has an $18 million cap it right now. So, so there we go. Well, that would fit in it with a little bit of wiggle room being under that hard cap because, like you just said, they only have 19.7 to play with without moving anybody. So if you were to accept Aaron Gordon under that trade exception, it would work. Then you would just have to figure out what are you sending back to Yeah, Orlando. is Orlando going to be okay with just picks? Or does it take picks, cash, right? Picks, cash, and may, maybe some of the young kids. Maybe they want some Pritchard. of those young kids that they yeah. – Pritchard or Naismith or you know Romeo Langford who hasn't played at all. May, maybe they want some of those younger guys to fill in with some of those others. Now, Vucevic, he was another one who has been rumored to be going to, you know, to, to Boston. He can't, it can't work. He, he has a $26 million cap hit, and – that, yeah, so Boston has, clear, the trade, Boston has to clear Boston has to clear $7 million just to make that work right now. Right, that's what I was just going to say. They they would have to make a move first, move some space to get it down low enough so yeah. that they could use that trade exception in full. And, and you cannot – the trade exception has to absorb the full amount all at once. You can't have it in pieces where right. you're using it up to half of Vucevic's salary and then your salary matching the rest. It doesn't work that way. Um, real quick, layman's terms, how did Boston get hard capped? Just so everybody's aware. Uh, they were hard capped because of the, the sign in trade for Hayward. Is that what happens? No, they they were signing trade or they were hard capped because of the Tristan Thompson signing okay. using the entire uh, non-taxpayer mid-level okay. exception. Because if a team uses that non-taxpayer over the amount of what the taxpayer mid-level would be, then they are hard capped. And in this case, they spent the entire amount on Tristan Thompson for this year, and that's what hard capped them. That's regrettable. <laughs> um. Okay, so let's just kind of put that in the docket. Let's say Aaron Gordon can work, maybe will work under a Boston trade exception. Who else is on this list? Can I ask this question? You mentioned his name already. And why aren't we hearing more about Bradley Beal? And maybe the question is, is the fact that we're not hearing it this time telling? (laughs) Is there maybe some real traction this time? And it's not just hot stove for Bradley Beal. I mean, that's a 10th place team, right? 14th. They're way down now. I mean, they had a good stretch, but it certainly wasn't sustainable, Washington. You know, they're kind of falling back into place down the list of the East. I mean, every year this comes up, but it just doesn't seem like it's there this year. Is it because they had a little bit of a success for a few weeks? Is it because they just acquired Russell Westbrook, so why wouldn't they give it a chance? Or is it the exact opposite, that maybe there's some actual conversations happening and people don't want to discuss it out loud right now? I I think... All of the above. Yeah. Yeah. Teams are always I, trying, I, right? I mean, he's that kind of player. They're Yeah. They're always going to try. For a player like that, 
a team's most likely going to have to give up four first round picks, three, probably four to, to get Beal out of Washington now, because they, what they did to get Westbrook and getting wall out there and they haven't had Thomas Bryant all year or because he was injured. So he's out for the remainder of the year. Maybe they're pumping the brakes and seeing when he comes back, maybe we can really gel everything. Um, so I, I think it's an all of the above. They'll probably listen to offers, and if they get the right thing, then they'll do so. But if you move Beal, what does that do for Russell Westbrook for you? Yeah. Then he yeah, it, Russ it, is used to having it, his own team. He is, but he <laughs> had, but he's had that decline, which is why he has moved as much as he has. Yeah. So if you do move Beal and you're stuck with Russell Westbrook, are you trying to move Russell Westbrook again and see what you can get for him? Pennies on the, you know, on the dime there or, um, but with what Beal has left, he guaranteed cash remaining of this season. He has $10.2 million left this season. And then, uh, he has $71.6 million over two years remaining from that contract uh, extension that he had signed. So, um, yeah, that's a lot to, to take on it's Positively, a lot to take. In, in a good way. I mean, that's what teams want is term, right? Yeah, they do. And, and they want those rights. So yeah. they get his bird rights so that in the event that they wanted to extend him or sign him, they, they could do so. But I mean, his cap hit for matching purposes is twenty eight seven. So you'd have to have some sort of matching entity. There's only one team for me, and I think it's extremely likely. Likely because the guy who came in there loves trading draft picks, loves bringing in stars. Do you know where I'm going with this? Philly. Yeah, it's Philly or bust. Daryl Morey yeah. would love to make this move. He would love to make this move. And it would be a major upgrade to the Danny Green situation. I mean, if, if that's your spot-up shooter and a ball handler, by the way, two areas of needs they can improve immediately right now, even though there's a couple of kids that can maybe grow into that role, this makes them perennial contenders, Scott, for four years. With Embiid, Simmons, and Beal, it doesn't even matter who you put around it. Tobias Harris is there long-term still, too. It, th- these, are, what, these are legit contenders. What... In- what the rumors are pick? always out there? Give up well, four if well, you have if, to, you know? Well, <laughs> what if what if Simmons is in that package? Simmons, because Simmons was rumored to go to Houston to get hardened. So the, it's on Maury's radar. There's no so chance. It, to me, there's no chance Simmons is moved. He has proved himself to be too valuable for the role that he has. He's overpaid, Scott, but you just don't care about that when you're in the position that they are right now. It's probably Harris. I mean, Harris's contract is about 30, right? Maybe even more. 34. So is that in matching or, or, or would it could be, I'd have to do the math, but Washington may have to send a small player with Beal, huh? But either way, that's probably the the piece you could lose, even though, even though he's got a nice role in that team as well. But well, you bring up a name of Danny green who has been rumored because teams are looking for that shooter right now. So, I mean, he, he's at 15, four, uh, for matching purposes. He's got, um, you know, $5.5 million in cash that a team would have to spend for yeah. the remainder of the year. But then he's got his early bird rights. Cause he's only, he only signed a two year deal. So you do get some rights to him, but not the full bird rights. So that, that is a player that could move whether or not he'd be packaged to go for a, a player like Beal with whatever else would go so, in there. But Philly has other pieces on their roster that could move. We got 
Tyrese Maxey, you've got Thibel, yeah. and then you got Green, maybe a Mike Scott. So Philly has pieces that teams could want if they want to make that move. And you're right, Daryl Morey is a guy who is not afraid to ruffle the feathers and bring in a guy and tinker. And this is what we talked about when he signed. We said, what is he going to do in his mad scientist lab to come up with a winning record so far they have had a winning record now they just need to get over the over the hump of beating out uh brooklyn and whatever milwaukee does those are the three teams that are at the top i look at it this way scott and you're right i'm not sure tobias harris is movable off of this roster it would deplete too big of a role that he has which is just something the other players can't really bring right now but you just hit the nail on the head we're finally getting, and I realize he's injured, but we're finally getting the version of Joel Embiid that everybody's been dying for for five years. And whether or not it's because of the players around him or it's because of a, the change of coach or the change in the front office, whatever it is, it's here. You don't mess with it. You do everything possible to take advantage of it right now. There's no, there's no building for the future. That, that is such a dying phrase in sports. You know what I mean? Like if, if Bradley Beal is really available and it costs me whatever picks and whatever death players on my roster, it, how do you say no? You just don't say no if that's really a possibility. So, you know, I don't know how, how bad Joel Embiid is injured. Look, the player that, that would lose out most here is the injured Seth Curry who was kind of brought in to be that mini version of Bradley Beal, you know, so at least the spot up guy uh, to go along with Danny green. Is that too many shooters in the room? Probably not. I mean, like I said, when you can get Bradley Beal, you get Bradley Beal, but can you think of another team that would even be, be in this kind of conversation right now for Beal? No, you know, no. I don't think Milwaukee's making that kind of move after what they did this off season. And, and I don't, I don't feel like they feel like they are legit contenders right now. Giannis injured, Brooklyn just killing people without Durant. I mean, um, this is the only team that to me has a real chance to add that kind of piece and then go go blow for blow with Brooklyn. Yeah, and there's one other team. I was looking at the standings to see who who is a team that, you know. Denver. Well, actually, I'm going Portland. Fair. They have Similar, they have very pieces. similar. Dame loves being in Portland. You got McCollum who just came back. You do have some big guys that are injured, but if you wanted to flip those injured guys or some other pieces that are on that team, you put Beal on that team. That is going to take Portland over that threshold that they they seem to have struggled every year with. And right now they're in the sixth seed. You, you, if a team like that acquired Bradley Beal, you know, they they would be a massive roadblock in the playoffs for any team. Um, so I, I, I would say that's a dark horse team yeah. be- just because of the issues that they've had getting over that hump. And Beal is probably the player that could do that. It's not likely. I mean, we just no, spent it's ten, not. we spent 10 it's minutes not. on it, but it's just not likely. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. And, and there's a, there's a lot of other players that I have. I can run down a, a quick list here if you want of players that are rumored to be Go ahead, traded. Fire them off. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got players, you know, I've, I've heard a plenty of names from Atlanta side, yeah. you know, Bogdanovich, he's not happy with his role with Atlanta right now. John Collins, who is, you know, didn't get an extension. So team wants to get him and get his bird. Turned down an extension, right? I believe. Uh, Yeah. 
So he, he may have. You're he, right. He's kind of put himself right. on the trade block. <laughs> right. Uh, Cam Reddish, I've started to hear some names, even though he's injured. I've heard his name come up. You know, you have players like Andre Drummond. You know, the the Cleveland Cavaliers have sat Draymond uh, Drummond, Andre Drummond, for 16 games. Yeah. So they've essentially paid him a little over $3 million just to sit in hopes that he wouldn't get injured and they could trade him. Now, if he gets to that trade deadline, you know – they're most likely going to either bring him back on the court or buy him out. And then if he does, then he goes in and is signed for a minimum contract, most likely with another team. He still has 18, uh, $10.8 million left in guaranteed cash for this year. And then he's a free agent. And, you know, so that's sort of a, a chicken game right now. LaMarcus Aldridge is another one. San Antonio has just been sitting on their hands with him right now. He hasn't played. He's going to be a free agent. He's got about eight and a half million dollars in cash left uh, on his current salary. Um, Again, this is cash that doesn't count for the matching purposes, but um, a few other names, you know, you've got Norman Powell. Mm -hmm. I've heard out of Toronto that he could be moved depending on what Toronto wants to do. A la, you know, Lowry, you've got George Hill, uh, out of OKC that could get flipped. You have, uh, JJ Redick, you know, we just talked about shooters. JJ Redick is a name that keeps coming up over and over of a guy that could get traded because of his shooting presence. Um, and then you've got a few other guys, Laurie Markinen out of Chicago, mm-hmm. Lonzo ball, uh, you and I talked a little bit about Lonzo Ball uh, offline. You know, he's got about four million million left in cash, but his bird rights uh, would transfer. He's a guy that didn't get a contract extension. So, is there a team that thinks they can take him on and have his rights to sign him to a higher value because of you know not potentially not having the cap space there? Um, and then a guy out of Denver that you mentioned, Will, uh, Will Barton, yeah. you know, he's a, he's a really good role player. He has one year left on his uh, contract through next year at 14.7 million for next year. So, um, you've got a, a handful of players that could move and most people are probably going to say, Oh, we're just shuffling the chairs on the Titanic, uh, <laughs> it just moving things around just to see where we're at. But like we've talked about these last few weeks, even when Keith was on, the, the roster or the the standings, they are still pretty jam-packed for the most part. You know, one loss or two losses could drop you from fourth to ninth in the East right now. If you're in the West, you know, you lose two or three games, you're, you're dropping just as far, maybe even out of the playoffs in the, the play-in. So it's just going to be a matter of, what teams feel is going to get them better and far enough into the playoffs that they don't necessarily have to do that play in. Is there a team that wants an Aldridge or a Drummond both? I mean, I would imagine majority buyout candidates, right? Over trade candidates right now, but is there a team that is maybe in that fringe, right? Is maybe squished in that standings right now. That also wants to get rid of pieces because I think Cleveland would be okay taking on expirings for Drummond. Don't you? I, I think I might have that team. I'm wondering if you can think of it as well. They, they've mm-hmm. they've kind of turned their season around here in the West. Mm, 
Is Andre Drummond to Dallas a terrible idea? I was going to say Dallas, but I, mean, I don't know. Isn't Porzingis just a liability at this point? And you can't sit him and you can't trade him. So you better put somebody with him that can make him a better player. And I think Drummond actually has the ability to be that. Um, so, you know, they've got a Richardson who's got a player option next year. They've got a Hardaway who's expiring. I, I realize that they're winning some ball games here, but if you're mm-hmm. thinking 21 and 22 and maybe, you know, the next three years, not super down the road, but really a short-term fix with players who aren't going to be here next year anyway, doesn't a Doncic, Porzingis, Drummond starting three, core three, make a little bit of sense for that team? A little bit, only for the fact that look, Drummond here's the other piece. isn't expiring. You'd have to re-sign him, and he's not a max guy. Come on, he's not a max no. guy. Okay, he's a you know he's an in between kind of guy because of the role he'd play. But I just think the role that he plays is a role that Porzingis absolutely does not want to play. Porzingis does not want to be in the paint. Porzingis does not want to be grabbing rebounds. In fact, Doncic gets right. more rebounds than Porzingis does. And Cuban loves these kind of guys. Cuban's been trying to get DeAndre Jordan back on that team for, for a decade, you know? And I, this guy's kind of sitting there. So to me, if Drummond has a chance to be traded, it's Dallas because there's a basketball side to it, and it allows Dallas to get rid of a couple of expiring contracts for value that maybe they wouldn't be able to anywhere else. So I, that's just a home run guess by me. We'll see if that comes to fruition. I don't see, I, I don't see any chance that Aldridge is traded. I think he is 100% getting bought out. And let me tell you where I think he's going. This is like off the top of my head guesstimation show, Scott, is what this is turning into. Here's the What was the problem with Miami last year? Why didn't Miami win the the championship, in your opinion? What never wins championships? Big men? Rookies. Rookies. Rookies, They just don't win. Right, So Hero was phenomenal. Duncan Robinson was unbelievable to watch during that stretch. But when it got down to big boy time and the lights got as bright as possible, those kids just did – they weren't there. They played their asses yeah, off. I loved and, it. And, but, and that's why Dra- Dragic did whatever he exactly. could to get back in the, the And last that's why game. Riley made yeah. sure, hey, you got to play. I don't care if you're 40%. You got to get out there because it, yes. it's just you're a right. different you're game. Right. So, so let me throw this at you. What if, what if for the rest of the season this was the starting five – and this isn't crazy. This is kind of doable if they forfeit all of their picks and basically all of their depth. What if it's Lowry, Oladipo, Butler, Aldridge, and Bam? I realize how much you just changed and gave up, but that is a veteran championship team. On what are you paper. doing with Butler? Did you say, I don't think you said Butler. I did. did you? Yeah, Lowry, Oladipo, yeah, okay. Butler, Aldridge, Bam. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the, that's the benefit of a buyout is yeah. Aldridge is going to go to – he's going to pull what Blake Griffin did. He bought out, went to a contending team. Yeah. At a minimum, he still gets paid from the original team. He just gave back some, and he's he goes to an instant contender on the minimum, yeah. and it's prorated, so it's not even the full minimum. So Aldridge is probably going to do something like that. And I agree. He he is the most likely buyout candidate. And if Drummond gets through the trade deadline, he is. Oh, 100%. One, yeah. One B, uh, a, a buyout. But, you know, 
the 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 one interesting player is John Collins. I yeah. mean, I could see him on Dallas. I could see him on a, a handful of other teams, especially if they acquire those bird rights. I don't know if he has a specific spot that he and his agent are are targeting for the upcoming off season or or what is going on behind the scenes with that. But you know, a team like Dallas, you mentioned with Drummond, I I would pick Collins over Drummond if possible because sure. you know he's younger. He could probably fill in and play that that center position a little bit more than what Porzingis is. Sure. So, um, but it, it, this trade deadline is going to be very interesting because you may have a handful of teams that just sit on their hands and say, we're, we're, we're fine with what we have. We just have to get through the injuries and, and get to the postseason. or you're going to have a handful of teams trying to take some of these role players that we said just to upgrade a bit because of, you know, like I said, there right now there are three really good teams in the East and the West. There are more pretty good teams. Um, so, yeah, look, it's, it's almost impossible for superstars to get moved at the, at the deadline. Most more yeah. times than not that happens in the off season. So the Vukovic, correct. The, the Bradley Beal, those type players who have term left on their contract, teams generally just wait for the offseason to make those kind of moves. Um, so th- those are completely unlikely uh, over the next couple of days here. But, you know, the bio candidates for sure are on this list. Here's the team we got to finish with quickly, Scott, um, because there's there's a bunch of reasons why this team should be in. A, they're, <laughs> they're in the playoffs in the East. B, they have cap space. And see, I actually think players want to go here. Drummond probably being one of them, right? The Knicks are relevant, good, have already made a move to get Derrick Rose to be a, a veteran point guard. The discussion kind of we just had with Miami, they had to get a little bit more experienced in a lot of these starting spots. They're going to make at least one move here. No question, right? They've got like 15 million of cap space to burn, correct? More? Oh, more. 19.8. They have $19.8 million in cap space. So they, and why that is a benefit is they can, it's sort of like a trade exception. They can take on as much up to that 19.8 as they want and only have to necessarily send back picks, cash. They could send back some players, but they, they don't have to do salary matching because they are operating under the salary cap. So that is a, uh, a chance for them to acquire whatever they need here at the deadline. If they feel that they have a, a core around Randall and Mitchell and, you know, like you said, they, they brought on Rose, but they're in that seventh seed right now. They win two games. They're in the fourth seed. Yeah. Yeah. That's how, that, that, that is how close the standings are right yeah. now. So a team like the Knicks, if you feel like this is your year to at least, take a step forward and show this is what we have going into next season to, to bring on even potentially better players that then you, you can definitely make a move. I think right the now. injury to Mitchell Robinson has a lot of people thinking it's going to be a big man at least. Right. And Drummond is the best available kind of paint guy right now, although he's expensive, you know, unless he gets bought out, he's expensive for the Knicks to acquire because they just yes. don't have those veteran contracts to, to easily match up a trade with. So they'd really have to piece some things together if they're trying to acquire him in his $28 million salary. That's why, to me, it's not likely. Because if, if somebody like Dallas comes in and says, hey, we've got matching, matching contracts here. You know, if you're willing to take on these two or three guys, 
Cleveland, we'll take them. And that would that would preclude the buyout, which would take the Knicks out of the conversation. If he gets bought out, is are the Knicks his one and one A option? Why not, right? Yeah, why not? He, you saw Blake go to yeah, I know uh, New to, Jersey to Brooklyn. Brooklyn, yeah. So why not? Why not New York? And you know, like I said, they have the space. Why not? You know, if they have to move on now, all salaries are guaranteed right now. Sure. So if they do cut somebody because they're at fifteen, so they they would take on that full cap hit in in dead cap, but they don't care right now because they're so far under the cap that, I mean they would take that on probably in a heartbeat if they feel that it's an upgrade over someone that they have right now. Um, but uh, I mean, offline, we talked about that the Knicks could potentially move Obi Toppin. Yeah. So if you move Obi Toppin and you get some picks back because you don't have to salary match, then, you know, there's your, there's your roster spot open to bring in a guy out of the buyout. Did, LaMelo's injury put a nail on Charlotte's kind of push in 2020. Because I think they, they had eyes on a couple of these guys. Drummond probably being one of them. Possibly, but I think they're still going to push forward because they still have players that can play. You got Hayward, Rogier, you know, they have too many point guards in my opinion. Yeah. I think if, I think if, I think if LaMelo is healthy, Terry Rogier might be on the trade block right now, you know? which is funny because Boston could probably use him back, but uh, they've got a surplus. So you're right. They're not going to, I mean, LaMelo is a hell of a player to lose, but Devontae Graham's back from injury now and and Rozier's had a nice little season. At least they can hold the fort up. But but my point is, I I wonder if they had their, their sights on one or two upgrades at this deadline to actually make a run this year. I and, and I wonder now if that's on hold. Possibly, possibly, but like I just said two minutes ago, Charlotte's in the sixth spot. They win two games. They're in the fourth spot. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't emphasize that enough because because of how close things are, and and that we're not in a bubble, so we're gonna have yeah home court with fans. Quote unquote, advantage with some fans. Yeah. It's going, it's going to mean something to be in the fourth seed as opposed to the six or seven and you do, and you do not want to be in the seven and eight seed because if you're in seven and eight, you're in that play in system and that's a one and done. So you do not want to be in in that predicament. So if you're Charlotte in at the six right now, I I think you do everything you can to make sure you're six and above. I'll be very interested. And this will be our our last takeaway before we, uh, as I kind of mentioned in the open sky, we'll be doing kind of a live deadline show Thursday kind of as things lead up to that deadline, we'll be talking about hopefully some of these moves, but I'll be very interested to see which teams are in that sixth to 10th spot right now in each conference, respectively, that decide to sell something. You know what I mean? Because I, I, yep. a, having false confidence right now could be devastating. You know, if you lose value, you know, there's some talk out there about Obi Toppin being moved out of New York. It is the perfect, excuse me, it's the perfect time to move Obi Toppin. He has a maximum value right now after that dunk contest, after a nice little start to his career on a good next team. But, you know, there's some, there's some smart people out there that think, and maybe correctly so, he doesn't have a good spot on that roster long term. You know, that some of the other players on that team have already kind of superseded him in his role, even though he's athletic as hell and can really make some plays. 
he's just he's out there right now. People know who he is, and that may go away next year. So do the Knicks, who are certainly in it right now, swap somebody else in a similar set and mindset? You know, a really nice player, an athletic player, or a good role player who maybe just isn't a good fit in their current roster. That's the kind of move that I would love to see happen. Good teams selling parts that they know aren't a fit in 2021 or 22 just to make sure that they keep keep the train moving down the track. Don't get don't get lured by what's happening right now in 2020 because a it's a weird year. Everybody's kind of mashed together. This isn't normal. So don't don't have a false confidence that you are better than you might be next year. So that's to, to me the biggest takeaway. Not our superstars getting moved and hopefully they do because it'll be fun. But which teams are confident enough to know we're good and we may still compete in 2020, but that guy's got to go because we can flip in for value right now that we won't able to be able to do in September. Yeah, that's a great point. And if you are not confident, you, you sell now sell. because everyone is saying this is the draft to be in. So you want to make sure your draft lottery percentage is as high as you're going to be able to get. Good stuff, Scott. We'll see you Thursday for the live show. All right. See you then. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome back. Underscore M Karen on Twitter. Emily Karen from Sportico. How's it going? Thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're busy. <laughs> That's why I couldn't look <laughs> yeah. away. Yeah, there's plenty of great articles, a lot of financial related articles. So anytime that happens, we love to, love to have you on the show. What's been the uh, topic du jour at Sportico these days? Uh, you kind of just hit the nail on the head. It's, you know, I feel like everyone knows that March Madness is, you know, the NCAA's biggest moneymaker by far, but we've been kind of spending the last week or so really breaking down what that actually means um, and all the different factors that go into that, um, you know, and even then the things that are related, you know, sports betting on the tournament, how that is changing, what those numbers are supposed to look like, um, all the timely topics, everyone's really been kind of digging in um, to looking at what the differences are between the men's and women's tournaments and whatnot. So we have really been covering uh, as much of it as we can. Yeah. It's been a really impressive series and I know you're kind of at the center of it. Um, This is, maybe we'll go backwards in order of how these came out because is this kind of the first big NCAA tournament that has had many States with legal betting? Because we kind of got robbed of that last year. I think there were, a few states available in 2019, so maybe we got a little bit of a tease with it. But this seems like kind of the first real go for it. Any kind of insight into how it's going? You know, is the money be- there, or is just the weirdness of everything maybe putting people at pause right now? Yeah, I mean, 2019 tournament, there were eight states, I believe, um, that had legalized sports betting of some form, and not all of those were, you know as prevalent or, you know, as robust as they are today. Um, now you're talking about 20 plus markets that have legal sports betting for this year's tournament. And you're also talking about, you know, the first games being played in a state with legal sports mm. betting itself. Um, so I think the numbers are definitely there, you know, as many people have sort of tagged out of watching sports this past year, we've seen kind of viewership numbers across the board and every league, every sport, every, you know, even, you know, at the Super Bowl, you're talking about numbers that are not necessarily fantastic. Um, but in terms of people who are betting on March Madness, this is one of the first events we've seen where those numbers are actually about what they would have been pre-pandemic, which is really interesting. And I think part of that is 
people love to bet on the tournament. We all know this from how many, you know, office brackets and pools everyone's probably gotten invited to in their lifetimes. Um, But beyond that, the people who do normally do those brackets and pools now have so many more options when it comes to legally betting on and engaging with the tournament, which I think that's where you're really starting to see fruition is a lot of the people who are now double dipping, so to speak, in terms of how they're betting on the tournament. Right. And I would imagine, I mean, I guess I don't know the magnitude of this versus some of the other big, you know, you know, the Masters, the Super Bowl. This has to be up there in terms of what the betting world is going to see as the main event, right? When when the numbers actually come in after this tournament, this is going to be one of the bigger bet, bet events of the year, sports year, right? Yeah, I mean, even pre-pandemic, you're talking about, you know, 47, 48 million people yeah. betting on the tournament. Numbers they expect to be pretty similar this year. Um, not wagering an insignificant amount either. Right. Uh, right. You're seeing so $200,000 yeah, bets on some of these games. I know. It's insane. Of all years that those bets are probably incredibly risky, this year would probably be okay. it with how so much of a hot mess the tournament That's is. exactly where I was going to go with this, Emily, because, well, it's kind of two-faced. It, it's a mess. So do you, do you not get into the, to the money side of it because you have no idea what's going on? Or is this the perfect year to get in, right? Because the randomness probably should favor, and it has already, two rounds in, it's already favored the underdogs. You know, this is where you can really make some money. So if you're a fan, if you're a casual gambler or maybe even a pro, this is like, you know, Christmas morning for you having Oral Roberts go two rounds deep right now. <laughs> and, and if you're a state that isn't in right now, you're dying. You're, you're, you're completely kicking yourself because of this. This has to be the event that every state looks at sports gambling and says, what are we doing? This is, this is free money. Everybody wants to do this. This is free money. This has to tip the, the scale for those other states. Don't you agree? Yeah. I mean, I think too, especially as states are dealing with the, uh, their own you know, fallout from COVID and all the economic impact right. there, I think a lot of states are looking for other revenue generators. Um, and I think the states that have legalized sports gambling, especially, you know, you look at New Jersey, which has had it uh, legal, probably, I mean, one of the longer states and more successful in terms of how it's doing for them. I, I think those are the states that people start to look to as an example of what potential money is there. Yeah, it's definitely sitting out there to be had. There's no question, especially since we're all home. <laughs> and even if they're <laughs> yeah. not, you know, we might, may not be watching, but we're refreshing on our phones constantly. It's just kind of how we work right now. All right, look, the, the men versus women stuff could not have been more in our face. for, a, and, and that's a good thing. I, I mean, I think what, what has come to light and what has hit the national spotlight is pretty unbelievable in 2021. <laughs> I mean, just how you, how you let yourself get to a situation that is that obvious in this time is embarrassing, but the, the money's not much better, is it? And I know you've got a great piece on Sportico that kind of r- relates to this. What is the financial difference, distance, gap, and reasoning between men and women's college basketball right now? I think the first thing to remember when we're talking about this, right, is like the NCAA is a nonprofit organization and their mission hypothetically is to provide, you know, equitable experiences for athletes, no matter the sport, no matter the gender, no matter the team, um, right. That's their whole mission. And I think what people have had a, a hard time with now is, you know, you see these differences in the numbers, the women's tournament makes less money than the men's tournament because the men's tournament, uh, television deal is, absolutely insane 
you know, CBS and Turner Sports are paying $770 million a year right now, a number that'll go up to, you know, over a billion dollars annually starting in 2025 for these rights. Um, and the women's broadcast rights is part of a, a different deal that they have with ESPN that also ropes in a number of other championships, College World Series is in there and so on. Um, you know, and you're talking about $40 million a year there. So the money is wow. definitely different in terms of what the tournaments are bringing in. But when you look at the NCAA's overall mission, you know, the treatment of the teams and the participants as a result shouldn't be. No, and that's well said. And, you know, obviously we're referring to the weight room situation and, and some of the, you know, the food, the, the food the spreads. And, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is such, that is so easy. That is such a softball thing to, to, to get right. Don't you agree? I mean, if you're going to spend $1,000 on one room, you spend $1,000 on the other, and, and there's not even a chance to, to look at it negatively. This was such a mess. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, different too, because both venues are dealing with, um, both tournaments are dealing with a situation in which they're trying to host these sort of single site tournaments, which normally doesn't happen until much later on. Um, and the women's tournament in particular, these first couple rounds are usually actually home games for some of the teams and then moves to a location later on. But you, both of the committees for the, you know, who put on the men's tournament, who put on the women's tournament, um, the money behind both of those was out already allocated. And, you know, the committees had enough time to figure all those yeah. changes out, you know, like just, I think that's what people have the hardest time with is like, okay, <laughs> it wasn't a lot of time candidly. I mean, the NCAA only made this decision about Indianapolis. I think, you know, we're talking maybe two, three months ago. So it definitely was a crunch time, but if the NCAA can make a massive weight room that's nicer than any gym I have ever seen in my entire life in Indianapolis, you would think they would be able to make something, you know, acceptable, um, in the, yeah. at the women's tournament in San Antonio. And again, I think, you know, people point to, okay, well, the women's tournament doesn't make any money, which is why the NCAA doesn't fund it. But the reality is almost all of the NCAA's championships, except for men's basketball, don't make much money. <laughs> and they still right. it's a TV put show. on right, and they still put on events that are you know treat the athletes with respect and respect what they can do. Well, to me, here's the takeaway, and all of that's right. And you're right. There's a there's an agenda. There's committees. There's a process, and maybe the men's and women's committees don't talk as much as they probably should be. <laughs> you know, let's put let's put that out there. Maybe it's two separate avenues that are doing their own thing, and, and they got crossed up here. Here's the problem, and you know this more than anybody everybody's a reporter right now. Everybody. We all have the capabilities to, right. do, to do this stuff every second of the day. So all those things now have to come to the forefront of process. And if, you know, if the NCAA's mission is to create a great environment, a fair environment, a really, it should be an impressive environment. This is the event. This is it. Like you're, you're, you, whether you're Oral Roberts or Kansas, you're here. Um, it, should, it should look the part on, on either, either side of the, of the spectrum here. And the fact that they haven't figured that out in 2021 to me is stunning. It's stunning that, that the, that the, uh, the thought process didn't even get there. So we won't harbor on that too well, much. Think, Go ahead. Yeah. I think the other thing is just that it wasn't just a single incident, right? It's not like That's everyone right. just saw, you know, a 
subpar to be nice a, a subpar weight room at the women's tournament and that was that you saw a difference in meals and then you even see a difference in things that are incredibly important right now like safety in terms of the men's and women's tournament the athletes and the participants are being tested using different mm-hmm. types of covid tests you know and mark emmert came out and said that was a result of different providers being used at the different tournaments but you know some level of standard for all athletes involved in ncaa championships right now you should be happening and you'd think that that would especially exist at the safety level given the fact that we're in the middle the middle of a global pandemic emily should the ncaa even exist anymore no <laughs> that I, is a I'm, I, I'm honestly because it's clear that they're they're not administering this stuff from one umbrella do you know what i mean there are committees underneath that headline that are doing their own thing there's no there clearly is not a communication process in place between a and b so what does the ncaa even do <laughs> yeah, I think, and you, you know, people like the Knight Commission come out and start to recommend changes to the current model because of that. And, you know, we've seen a lot of these conversations, especially as the Power Five start to continue to yeah. separate themselves from the rest of the school. So I think this could just be a continuation of, you know, conversation that's continuing, that's been, you know, gaining steam, especially over the last year or so. Yeah. Yeah, I think, look, there's a lot that could happen. We, we've, we've had the football discussion before, and that's died down a bit, but I bet it comes back um, when all the 2020 actual finances come to the forefront. Um, the basketball conversation is going to change as well because what are they doing with the one-and-done players? What does that mean when NBA, NBA, the NBA allows high school players to come directly to the draft? You know, there's some different versions of kind of like semi-pro basketball picking up right now that could take some of these prospects mm-hmm. away from college basketball. So you're telling me there's a, a billion dollar a year television contract for 2025 March Madness. And I, I'm, I'm telling you March Madness might be completely different in 2025. You know, it might be better. It might be a lot more seniors, right? Four-year players, uh, you know, loyal Chicago type teams. So it might be better for your diehard basketball fans, but it's, it may not be as marketable. It may not be, you know, flashier and have superstars and NBA prospects in it. You know, it's interesting you say that, you know, on a lot of these media calls that the NCAA had or Turner had or CBS had ahead of the tournament, um, on several of those that I was on, the question was raised, you know, similar to that with, you know, teams like Duke not participating this year and sort of those are the teams who normally have, you know, the Zion Williamson who everyone tunes in to watch. Um, you know, was that a lot of the questions asked were, is this going to impact viewership? And you think about if that's starting to happen this year, you know, Duke, especially as a program that is completely built on one and dones, yeah. 80% of their team every year, you know, at least of their starters, don't quote me on the 80%, but I, you know, <laughs> as an ACC alum, I've, I've watched a lot of uh, Duke teams and, you know, a lot of their starters are typically freshmen who don't normally stick around very often unless there's some sort of an anomaly. Um, you know, but, but those are the powerhouses who would a really have to shift how they recruit and how they perform, but then B, like you said, maybe you lose, you know, a Duke uh, being an annual participant as a, as a guarantee, you know, and maybe you lose the guarantee of having one or two of those Duke standouts who would be a name like Zion, who would bring viewers in. So it's all going to be really interesting. What does that do for ratings and and then in turn for television deals as a whole? Yeah. I guess that's what I'm saying. Like those dots have to start to be connected based on whatever the NBA decides that they kind of hold the rights to a lot of these decisions. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it changes. Right. 
Right. And even NBA aside, right, you look at this new like league that overtime is launching yes. um, for high school prospects that's going to pay them six figure salaries, give yes. them benefits, you know, have a cash scholarship basically for them if they decide not to pursue professional basketball for them to go to college. And those sort of systems, same thing with what the NBA is doing, bringing in uh, high school prospects directly into its G League system. There are already more ways for players to go pro without participating in the NCAA than I know. there ever have been. You're right. And is it, it's, I mean, it's not a coincidence that this is on the heels of the, uh, of the NIL situation, right? And the name image like this in NCAA, which take a moment and speak to that if you don't mind, because it feels like that is completely on the back burner while these other leagues you're mentioning are coming up out of nowhere and probably going to trump them. Yeah. The NCAA still is <laughs> holding out on making a decision on NIL. They initially, you know, this was something that was supposed to happen in December and then January. And now it's postponed indefinitely. And you, I think what you're just seeing is a, a frustration with that continued state or that continued uh, refusal to make a decision because you saw players that started the NCAA tournament, you know, the hashtag not NCAA property mm -hmm. was trending. You've seen players wearing those shirts on the sidelines or at warmups while, you know, they're on an NCAA or on a broadcast that is making the NCAA millions of dollars. Um, so I think it's interesting. I think players are getting increasingly frustrated and I think that will definitely trickle down to how prospects view their options moving forward. You know, in a league like the overtime league, hypothetically a lot smaller, um, you would probably have much more of a voice as an individual athlete than you would in this, you know, this huge machine that's NCAA. And athletes are really starting to take that into consideration when they're making decisions about where they go and how they pursue their professional future. Fascinating. And, and basketball might be kind of ahead of football with all of this because you're right, there's multiple options and they're good. I mean, we don't even really know the impact of what the G League system could be yet. They're, they're building that kind of academy. We, mm -hmm. we don't really know what, what the pay structure is there yet, but there's, there's obviously a better path to the NBA if you're going directly into that system and working directly with G League systems. But this overtime structure, you're right. Not only does it pay well, it gives you two avenues. It gives you a professional out or an MBA out. So it, that, right. that's extremely attractive. It, it's it's the college model, but with $100,000 in your pocket. So it's, right. uh, you know what I mean? It, there's just more attraction there for sure. All right. A couple of specific financial numbers, and then we'll get you out of here. Um, the piece you have that breaks down sort of the men versus the women. What We have to talk about the payout. <laughs> Yes. All right. Uh, how, how do we get to this? Uh, you know, how, how did you get to these numbers? You're, you've given the example of the number one overall seed. So if Gonzaga runs the table, which is looking very good now for in the, on the men's side, and if Stanford runs the, runs the table on the women's side, what are the financial ramifications? So the, the men's tournament is actually a very significant moneymaker, not only for the NCAA, but for individual conferences. For each team that advances, so essentially it works out to every game that a team plays, they bank what's called a unit for their conference. The conference can distribute those units however they want. Uh, the NCAA kindly recommends that they split them um, amongst all their member institutions. But basically that unit is worth a certain amount of money each year um, that you know goes to your conference. And so if you're Gonzaga and you you – Unit stop at the final four, just for some background there. But if you're Gonzaga and you 
make it to the title game, you're banking five units for your league, which means you get five times that payout for your conference. Right. And that payout is then to complicate things even further in lovely NCAA fashion paid out over a six year period. Um, <laughs> so, right. So you're getting a long term windfall for your conference, but if you are Stanford, if you're UConn, if you're any of these other women's teams, um, you don't get a payout because there's no, nothing in the NCAA's financial distribution structure is tied to performance in the women's tournament in the way that it is tied to performance in the men's tournament. Do you have any answer as to why? I mean, the the easy answer is that it's kind of rewarding the men's teams for being the biggest revenue generator the NCAA has. But why um, is it necessary? Yeah, I think that's the that's the better question is, you know, is there a better way to distribute the funds more equitably among conferences that rewards their performance across the board? Right, because winning the tournament is already equity. <laughs> you know, getting to the Sweet 16, if you're Loyola Chicago, is already a 250% recruiting boost immediately. Right. And, and honestly, admission boost. You know, oh, they've, they've got a basketball team I can go and watch. That's a school I might consider going to if I'm local. It's just, it, it already carries it's enough weight. It already holds it. Yes, it already holds enough <laughs> weight just to have the television show and be successful on the television show. You don't have to win American Idol. If you're the fourth best, you're still going to get a freaking record deal, right? Like it's, it, there's, there's a lot to hold. I just don't understand why these monetary units have to exist. In, 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 if they can't exist for both, they shouldn't exist for either. Is that wrong? I don't know. It's hard. I mean, it's hard to look at it and also not wonder why, you know, whoever wins the College World Series isn't also rewarded financially. Exactly. Um, Any, I'm, I'm not know, even thinking to basketball. At, here. Right. Yeah. To look at this across the board and just say, you know, isn't there a better way to do this? And then there's also the concern of, if we continue to reward programs for performance in men's basketball, inherently you continue to reward sort of the biggest conferences most of the time. Sure. Obviously Gonzaga is sort of an anomaly there when you look at the West coast conference, but you look at how many other bids, it was the big 10 who had the most bids to the NCAA tournament, which means off the bat, they're starting off getting the most money. doesn't mean they're going to, by the end of the tournament, they're getting the most money. If, especially this year with how many of those big 10 teams got knocked out pretty early, <laughs> but you're looking at them having an, an advantage in terms of how much they can make because of how many teams are in the tournament. And that's because their teams are incredibly well-funded compared to smaller conferences. And they, you know, recruit better a lot of the time. So there's definitely some inequities that this sort of financial distribution system continues to perpetuate. But You're right. I, I, look, I'm not naive. I do this for a living. I understand that money in is money out, but this just feels like a bonus that the CEO gets at Christmas time, even though they lost 20% of their revenue this year. That This is what it feels like. It feels like, <laughs> is Virginia not going to try in the tournament if there's no money there waiting for it? Do you know what I mean? Like, are these teams going to mail it in? Are they going to recruit less? Are there going to be years where they tank? Because this this monetary unit doesn't exist for them, I, I just don't understand the need at all to have this happen. Now, you want to tell me that there's there's a trickle down effect from the TV money and that you know the ACC network is losing TV rights to March Madness? That's probably out of my pay grade, and I'm sure those kind of conversations exist. 
but not on the smaller levels, not even close. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I think, I don't think that there's a problem with, you know, compensating conferences in that sort of a sense. I just think there's a a much more equitable way to do it. Um, And I don't know that tying money to men's basketball performance alone and not rewarding their female counterparts sends the message. The NCAA says that it's, it exists to send (laughs) at the end of the day. Right. You know, I know that it's not all about messaging and whatnot, but when you're a nonprofit and you continue to perpetuate the idea that that's what you exist as an entity to do is to serve the athletes equitably, equitably and fairly and in a way that enhances all of their experiences, you know, not rewarding the men's or the women's programs the same way doesn't necessarily align with that, right? Because the Big East isn't getting more money to funnel back into its institutions to continue to rebuild those women's programs because of UConn's success. But the men's teams are getting that. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And this year specifically, the UConn men get in, they're out and around, but they made more than UConn women already are going to make right. for their tournament. That's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Um, and I get it. You know, the, the men may cost more, you know, you, you did a really nice breakdown here, honestly, in terms of the expenses, it's, it's apples and oranges to what it costs for a lot of reasons, men versus women. So getting some of that money back for what's invested in the recruiting and all that is fine. Um, I just don't know if that's the NCAA's job. I don't know if there's a necessity. Well, I also it. have to say some of that spending could be more equitable. A lot of that is well, a, is a choice in, in a zoom, in a zoom school, world. Yeah. Right. I mean, let's figure it out people. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Last thing today, the, the post today on, on Sportico, and I believe it was one of your colleagues who kind of did the heavy, the heavy lifting on this, but I know you pushed it out there basically financial matchups, right? So what is, what are the, what is the financial difference between oral Roberts and Ohio state when that matchup existed and right down the board, you're kind of going matchup by matchup in visual form. How interesting is this? And and will this continue for the whole tournament? I imagine it will, right? Yeah, I think so. My colleague, Eben Novi-Williams, actually tackled that one. And Lev, who does our data viz, did a fantastic job showing that on that chart. Um, but I think the thing was, especially in a year with this many upsets, right? You always have an upset or two where it's a smaller program making, that's, you know, this is where the, the Cinderella term came from, uh, making a run that hypothetically they probably shouldn't, given the fact that their teams have such limited resources in comparisons to sort of, you know, the teams who normally sit in these top slots. Um, but this weekend, I think when we saw so many upsets and we saw so many smaller teams knocking off big name opponents. I think that's what kind of was the the spark for this story. But, you know, you look at Oral Roberts, you know, they played Ohio State their first game. Ohio State spends $200 million annually on their athletic department. Oral Roberts spends $12 million. <laughs> you know, and then you saw a similar thing when Oral Roberts played, uh, was it Florida, uh, yeah, the yeah. next round. Where Florida is a, also a very well-funded athletic department. Um, and I just think it's absolutely fascinating that, you know, you success in this sense, isn't directly tied to how much money your team has. No. And that as the discussions we had happen and college basketball changes and turns more into a four year sport, that's going to get more, this graph is going to be more interesting to look at in five years. In my opinion, it's going to come down to norm a little bit because I, I, you have to agree that the recruiting process is going to change. Don't you think? 
I mean, there's not going to be private jets for for all of these top prospects anymore, right? I mean, we figured that stuff out this year, didn't we? Yeah, and I do think, I mean, everyone keeps talking about how bloated athletic department yeah. budgets continue to get. Like, I, you know, I don't know that we've seen it yet, but I imagine at some point there will have to be sort of a financial reckoning, especially everyone is going to be feeling this pinch from COVID for yeah. the next several years. I don't think that's, I don't think any athletic director is expecting this to be like a one-year thing. Um but, you know, there are definitely going to be some reckonings in terms of what should be spent and what should be saved and what costs are unnecessary. And so, you know, I'm not saying that Ohio State's athletic department is going to shrink to $100 million <laughs> in a year, but you might see the pace of this growth slow a little bit, which might give some of these, um, you know, smaller athletic departments some time to catch up. So Ohio State Earl Roberts, they, they match up in round one. Is their monetary unit the same? It is. Okay. So they both made the same amount of money from that game. Okay. For their conference. And then Earl Roberts gets a second for beating them. Yes. Okay. I get <laughs> yeah. it. I like it. I like it. I don't think it should exist. I think it's terrible, but I, you know, it's, it's awesome that you were able to track this and kind of, put, and kind of put it in front of us here. Here's yeah. the piece that you and I have to work on together, Emily. Okay. We need to unfold and uncover just how big college coach buyouts are in this country. <laughs> um, it's got to be insane. I mean, I'm, I'm it's guessing... It's a big undertaking. <laughs> oh, it's way too big for me. But I, I would guess that if you looked at just the Power Five conferences, that m there are more than half of those teams paying at least two, maybe even three coaches right now from buyouts that have happened. That's how bad, I mean, the turnover has been unbelievable. And these are mostly guaranteed contracts with perks and benefits. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I was talking to um, some folks at Georgia Tech a few weeks back for a story that I did on some investments that they were making in their athletic department. And I was looking at their financial data and their, you know, their numbers from 2019 from the 2019 fiscal year had about a $10 million deficit. And then they had the same thing for 2020, which only captured, you know, a couple, the first couple months of the pandemic. And I was talking to them and I, so I said, okay, so is it that COVID didn't impact your athletic department that significantly, <laughs> right? Like, is this a standard? And they're like, no, it actually, the first deficit, the 2019 deficit was from buyouts, like coaching buyouts they had to pay. And so I'm like their 2019 deficit, just from, well, not just, let me correct, primarily from co coaching buyouts was the same as the impact that COVID had on them they this are, year. They are both viruses. Wild. They are both viruses. Right? And that's what I mean. Like, I think this is a national pandemic, this buyout system. It is, it is unbelievable how much guaranteed money is being thrown out there. And then maybe even more unbelievable, just how quickly the turnover is. There's just no loyalty anymore. And I, I, I think I get it. But if you're not going to be loyal, don't be guaranteed either. You know, it's yeah. just nuts. We're, it's, it's in such a volatile state, this, the NCAA system. I'm fascinated to see where it goes in the next few years as, like you said, some of these things maybe come back down to earth a little bit. And honestly, more of the men versus women stuff gets out to the forefront because, I don't know, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know, the, the, this is just example 17,000 over the past five years of of just how the oversights are getting worse and worse, not better and better. So good on you for getting this stuff out there. These March Madness pieces have been super, super fascinating on Sportico, and I know you've been working your butt off on them. So uh, underscore M Karen on Twitter is where you can find her and links to all these pieces, sportico.com, of course, to get 
your daily updates of sports business information. Emily, great to have you back. Thanks for having me. All right, that's our show. My thanks to Scott Allen, as usual, for his NBA takes. Again, we'll be back Thursday with our trade deadline live show, live the live experience as hopefully trades come in and we're not just sitting there talking to dead air. My thanks to Emily Karen from Sportico. She's underscore M Karen on Twitter. And you can check out all of her work, including this March Madness series on Sportico.com. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Trinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trek Podcast.